So we've been studying the kingdom of God, and for several months, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians and learning what it means to be a child of God as a kingdom kid. And you parents of junior hires, in case you're wondering, we actually follow verse by verse our sanctuary teaching in junior high on Sundays as well. So they usually get a shorter version than we do in the sanctuary, but this is right in step with where we've been teaching in junior high as well. We've been learning what it means to be a kingdom kid. And then two weeks ago, we transitioned as we see Paul shift, the Apostle Paul as he wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus, shifts from talking about God's children individually, and now he's addressing how God's children live together as a family. And the big shift, really, that we see in Ephesians chapter 2 is that the kingdom of God looks like family. And as we know, there are some real barriers that divide and separate people. Race and ethnicity are barriers between people in our culture and around the world. There are economic barriers. Uh, There can be uh, age barriers that separate people The political divide in our nation is a massive barrier that separates people. So in order to bring people together as family, God needs to transform our hearts and he needs to deal with the things in our lives that separate us. And so last week we studied Paul's statement that Jesus puts to death the hostility between people, that he brings loving unity to people. He brings loving unity to people groups who were once enemies, and he removes the barriers. He removes the walls that separate people and separate people groups. We saw last week that Jesus reconciles people to God, and he reconciles people to one another. And today, we continue in our passage, and we see a picture of kingdom family peace. And that's the the title of today's sermon is Kingdom Family Peace. So we're going to be studying verse 17, but we're going to read both verse 16 and 17 so we can kind of see where we are in this passage. And I'll be reading and preaching from the New Living Translation today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Verse 17. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment where we can come together in peace and we can position ourselves under your word. God, we want to sit under your authority and learn and grow and change. Help us, God, to learn and grow and change individually and as a kingdom family. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and instruct us and grow us. Help us, God, to grow in our relationship and in our understanding of who we are in Christ as children of God. Help us, God, to grow into our place in the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we examined Paul's description of hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles in ancient culture. Now, unfortunately, in our modern world, we see the same sort of hostility. In fact, sin and hostility is alive and well in our world. Our modern world may be as racially divided as it ever has been. 
Certainly our world lacks and longs for peace. I recently read a new book, and it was a book about the first Nicene Council and all the work and the blood and the sweat and the excommunications that went into creating and enacting the, the original Nicene Creed in AD 325. And as I was reading this book, one man stood out in the account that I was reading, and that is Athenaeus. You guys have probably read about Athenaeus in church history classes if you've ever taken them, and I've certainly read about Athenaeus before, but I have this newfound interest in him. As, as I've been reading more about him and more about what he has written and what he, what he learned in the process of living as a church leader, I've discovered some fascinating connections to the Scripture that we're looking at today and his life. First of all, Athenaeus, if you don't know, he's one of the greatest writers and thinkers in the early church. He was born less than 300 years after Jesus' crucifixion, and I just recently, in all of my recent studies, learned that he was an African man. In fact, the only physical description we have of him is that he was short, with black, tightly curled, coarse hair, and very dark skin. So I'm going to show you now a picture, and this is, if you were to Google it right now, this is the picture that would pop up on your phone. This is the only picture and representation we have of Athenaeus. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So I, I, I looked and searched and found an image that I think probably more accurately represents him. Now, despite the contemporary physical description of Athenaeus, he has been depicted, like the image on the left, since the medieval art, the, the art movement of the medieval era. And even in our modern culture, if you, like I said, if you Google him, that's the image that you will get. This, this racial misinformation, or whitewashing is the term they use in our current culture, has been in the church since the beginning of the church nearly. It's unbelievable that, you know, I Google and learn about a guy, and that's the picture that pops up on Google. Clearly, hostility between people has always been an issue, even in the church. Athenaeus, throughout his life, marveled over the depths of God's love. And so there's actually a second connection with our passage today with this man's life. He spent his life pouring and pondering over the incredible depths to which Jesus went to save humanity. He marveled at the degree of sacrifice and suffering that God generously made. He marveled at the generous relationship of peace that God has invited us into through his salvation in Jesus. And 1,700 years ago, Athenaeus marveled over the depth that God was willing to go to save us and unite us. And he said these words. He said, Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. If the Lord's death is the ransom for all, and by his death the wall of separation is broken down, and the calling of all the nations is brought about, how would he have called us to him had he not been crucified? He continues, he says, For it is only on a cross that a man dies with his hands spread out. Whence it was fitting for the Lord to bear this also and to spread out his hands that with the one he might draw the ancient people, the Jews, and with the other from the Gentiles and unite them both in himself. What incredible insight and imagery into the necessity of the cross. See, God didn't 
save us by simply lowering his standards for humanity and then giving us a pat on the back and saying, all right, Billy, get back in there and try harder this time. No, Jesus stepped out of heaven, the living God, the the mouthpiece of creation, the one who spoke and there was, stepped out of heaven to sacrifice himself in order to save us. And Jesus completely saved us, left none of the work up to us. He didn't just die to remove the barrier of sin that separates every person from God. Jesus rose from the grave and invites humanity through faith in him to rise from the graves of our dead lives and experience true peace and true reconciliation in Christ Jesus removed the barriers to relationship with him and took them out of the grave with him. He paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. With the barriers removed, we're welcome in him and we're welcome together in him. In verse 16, Paul uses the term reconciliation. He says, we, as in both parties, we have been reconciled to God through the cross. And this idea of reconciliation means that two opposing parties are now brought together and united. And normally, when we talk about reconciliation, we, as Christians, we think about our reconciliation to God, how Jesus removed the sin, which was the barrier that kept us from God, and that is true. But that's not where the story ends. By removing our sin, Jesus not only removes the barrier between us and God, he removes the barrier between us and other people. He removes the animosity between races, between ethnicities, between cultures. In Jesus, there is peace. Jesus is our peace. We look at the cross of Christ, we're reminded that the reconciliation of the cross doesn't stop when our relationship with God is reconciled. This reconciliation also extends to relationship with the people around us. See, Jesus reconciles us to God vertically, and he reconciles us also with one another horizontally. As Athenaeus points out in antiquity, he says that Jesus dies with his hands outstretched as if to physically reach out his hands to two opposing people and reconciling them to God and to one another in Christ. Jesus is the catalyst for relational and racial reconciliation. Uh, theologian, an African theologian named Samuel Nagunya has uh, incredible insight into this. Um, he wrote this. He said that Jesus has a cure for the evils of racism, tribalism, and divided humanity. In Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles are one. They have become a new community, the church. And what makes this possible was the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, which destroyed their enmity and brought reconciliation and peace. And we've seen in last week's passage that Jesus tears down the dividing walls, that he has already done the work needed to reconcile divided peoples. And Paul is saying in Ephesians 2 that the peace that Jesus brings is something that has already been purchased. It's something that already exists. Listen to the tense of this passage. In our passage today, verse 17, it says, He brought, that's past tense, Jesus has brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away. Again, past tense. And peace to the Jews who were near. Positionally, they were near. So those are all past tense expressions indicating that Jesus has already made peace for us to walk in with God and with one another through the cross. And so the kingdom of God is like family. 
And God's family is a family of peace. The Father is the King of peace. He rules and reigns with peace. He makes peace with rebels, with foreigners. He brings people to Himself in peace. He brings people together in one another in peace, and He brings husbands and wives together in peace. Even enemies are brought together in peace. The Jew and the Gentile brought together. Paul says that Jesus reconciles even Jews and Gentiles, the most divided people that he could have conjured up in, in his mind in the ancient world. To say that Jews and Gentiles hated one another is a tremendous understatement. But here we see Jesus bringing both the Jew and the Gentile together, not to simply grit their teeth and tolerate one another, but to bring them together in peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. True peace comes from Jesus, exists in Jesus, and is maintained by Jesus. Now, later in this letter to the Ephesian church, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is encouraging the church to maintain this peace. In verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, preserve it. In other words, hold on to it. He's telling them to maintain this peace, not attain it. They've already attained the peace in Christ. He's saying maintain it. Hold on to it. Jesus is your peace. So remain in Him. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during the Holocaust uh, in World War II, and he was one of the very few Germans who stood up to Hitler and defended the Jews. And he's, he said this, in speaking of true Christian unity. He said, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. He says that we're invited into this reality that Jesus has ushered in for us. See, Bonhoeffer understood our passage. We don't have to strive to discover reconciliation. The gospel tells us that Jesus has already achieved reconciliation. And we now are invited to walk in Jesus' finished work of reconciliation. We're called to walk in our new identity. We participate in His work of peace. We've been brought to peace with God, and we've been given a peace to live at peace with one another. We're now invited to walk as agents of peace. We're called to walk and be agents of God's shalom, the peace and the presence of God as an unoffendable, loving people. It's a gift we've been given by God to walk in. And what Paul is teaching to the church in Ephesians chapter 2, we see an example of it in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, it records an account of Paul confronting Peter over discrimination in the early church. Now, Peter had been shown a vision by God, if you'll remember, if you've ever read the book of Acts, but in Acts chapter 10, and this vision that God showed Peter, it showed him that the salvation was not just for the Jews, but it was also for the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And in this vision, God called Peter to this work of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, saying, don't just stay with Jews. Don't just reach the Jews. He says, don't call unclean that which I have called clean. He gives Peter this explicit vision, and Peter obeys God. 
And he's walk, he goes out and he's walking in God's plan to reach every nation with the good news of salvation, not just the Jews. And then something happens, and this is what Paul had to address. Peter's obeying God, going to the Gentiles, but then a group of Jews shows up, and Peter becomes insecure. He becomes insecure, and he starts falling back into his old life of excluding the non-Jews. What's happening is he won't eat with them. He'll eat with the Jews, but he won't invite the Gentiles in. He's not, he's not bringing peace between peoples. And so in Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul confronts Peter face to face. And here's what Paul does not say to Peter. Paul does not say, hey, Peter, stop being racist. He does not say, God doesn't like racist, and he doesn't like us to act racist, so you need to please God by changing your behavior and stopping your racist behavior. Paul does not say that to Peter. Here's what Paul tells Peter. He tells Peter, your behavior is not in step with the gospel. He reminds Peter that Jesus removed the walls that divide people groups. He reminds Peter that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly on his behalf. He points Peter back to his new life in Christ. He says, remember who you are. Remember who you are and live from that place. Walk in Jesus. Walk as a child of God. Paul is saying, remember, Peter, that you're a kingdom kid. Don't go back living like you used to live before you were set free, before you were put at peace with God, before you were given by God, you were given peace with others to walk in. He's like, it's like you've run back to the orphanage and you're trying to impress other people so that you can feel a sense of belonging with them. Paul's encouraging him, come back to your place at God's kingdom family table. Church, this is a truth that we need to walk in. We have been given an identity in Christ as a kingdom kid, as a child of God. That comes with tremendous privileges. It it comes with access and intimacy to the Father. And then we're called to live in and operate from, to lean into that identity as we go out into relationship. Reconciliation only happens in Christ. Jesus is our peace. There's no peace apart from Christ. And so we have to know who we are. And in verse 10, just a few verses earlier, Paul reminds us of who we are. Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're God's workmanship. We're God's creation. We're made well. We're masterfully, intentionally, lovingly, purposefully made. God lovingly made us. And he made us new in Jesus so that we can be with him and walk in the good things that he has invited us into. And racial, relational reconciliation, the reconciliation of people who are far away from one another, relational and racial reconciliation are two of these good works which God has prepared for us to walk in, Christian. God has created this new work of peace, and he has invited us to walk in peace. We're invited to walk in what he has secured in the past, and we're called to walk in what he guarantees for the future. In Christ, we are family. We're family now, and we're family forever. Revelation chapter 5 shows us a picture of this eternal peace, of this eternal family that we're invited into. It's a picture of all of heaven worshiping Jesus. Revelation 5, verse 9. 
They're worshiping Jesus and they're declaring this, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. Church, that is our future a multi-ethnic people brought together in peace in Jesus. The church today is supposed to be a sneak peek at the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray into this. He taught us to pray into it, that the church would look like it is in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we see Jesus teaching His disciples and through His disciples teaching His church to pray. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy, holy is your name. He says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation chapter 5 describes the diversity and the worship and the unity and, and the family of heaven. We're part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God looks like a diverse family. And when the church walks in unity, unity between former enemies, racial unity, age diversity, economic diversity, Christian unity is a picture for all the world to see of the true love and the true redeeming power of God and the peace that Jesus brings. Because Jesus has already purchased this peace. And He's invited us now to walk in a unity that He has created And this requires a deliberate pursuit of peace, peace between differing peoples. We do not have the option to opt out of peace with people who are different from us. God is so passionate about bringing racial and age and economic peace. He's so adamant about bringing peace between two enemies, people who hate each other, people who have irreconcilable differences. God is so passionate about reconciling all peoples to himself and all peoples to one another in himself that he sent his own son to die in order to achieve it. God is passionate about reconciliation. And if God is passionate about this, It should be our passion as well. Now, this does not mean that we need to all of a sudden get involved in all these causes that promote peace, become a a social justice peace warrior. See, God's kingdom family, this kingdom family peace is not about us rallying to a cause. Kingdom family peace comes when we embody the kingdom family of God. Jesus is our peace. We are the family of God. We're to be a diverse family. We're to be a family at peace. And frankly, it's not an easy thing that comes naturally to us. Living in peace together as a diverse kingdom family is not going to come from one sermon. It's not going to come from one event. Us as a church living into this peace in Jesus requires us living out of a new kingdom family culture that is committed to following Jesus together, following Jesus beyond our comfort zones. And as a church, Reality Ventura, we want to live out of who God created us to be, don't we? We want to live out our purpose and our intentions, God's intentions for us. And we want to live out of this place of peace together. 
with former enemies, as a racially diverse and economically diverse, as an age diverse peoples. We're called to reach out together to every nation, every race, every tribe, every people group, every language as God's kingdom family. And Jesus not only creates a heart of peace in us, Jesus is our peace. This means that in Jesus I am free to love and engage in relationship with my former enemies. It means in Jesus I am able to bless and serve people who are different from me. In Jesus we are able to invest in foreigners, in the poor, in the disabled, in people who are much older or much younger than us. Jesus doesn't just want to keep us close, Christian. This isn't like this little club. He wants us to reach the lost and reach the broken and reach the poor and reach the hopeless and reach the hostile and reach every nation and every people group. He wants us to join Him in reaching all of Ventura County, not just the neighborhoods we live in, to reach all of the county and all of Los Angeles County and all of Mexico and all of South America and all of Africa and all of the Muslim world. Jesus wants to bring peace to divided peoples by bringing peace to every person. He wants His diverse church to reach all nations with His peace. Now, I'll confess that does sound a bit like a pipe dream if you're skeptical. And you might be thinking, okay, come on, Billy. Seriously? Generations have tried to unite the racial divide in the United States, and that's just one form of division. But what makes you think that we're any different? What makes us any different? And that's a fair question. It's actually a good question. Nothing makes us any different. We're the same broken, confused people that have gone before us. But thankfully, our hope is not in us. In fact, our hope has nothing to do with us. Our hope is in Jesus, who is our peace. If you want to experience reconciliation with relationships, broken, long-term broken relationships in your life, it doesn't mean you have to work on your communication skills. It means that you need to function in peace as a child of peace. And Jesus is your peace. If you want peace in your relationship, you need to have Jesus in your relationship. Peace will never exist between two parties who do not have Jesus. Jesus is peace. In verse 17, our verse today, it says, He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from Him and peace to the Jews who were near. Jesus is peace for those who are near and those who are far. So what does this look like for us? Well, what's going to move this forward, church? What's going to move family relationships forward are relationships. And there are two crucial parts to this move of God happening in the church, this kingdom family peace happening in the church. Two crucial at parts, and they're just, they just represented them by one word. The first is receive, and the second is respond. First, we have to receive. It is vital that each of us receive God's love in Jesus, and we live from a place of intimacy with God, receiving our identity from Christ and Christ alone. Jesus has removed the barriers of hostility that exist between humanity and God by conquering sin on the cross. We now have unlimited access to God the Father. 
We are now kingdom kids in God's household. And God created us to know Him, to be with Him. And through our faith in Jesus, we are able to live from that place of knowing God and living out of a place of intimacy with Him. Our new lives in Jesus are lived with God as kingdom kids. And so that was the first part of this kingdom peace happening. We receive our Father's love and we live from a place of intimacy with God as His kids. And then there's the second crucial part to this move of God, this kingdom family peace in the church. And that is, number two, to respond. As God's kingdom kids, we receive God's love and live from a place of intimacy with Him, and we respond in love by walking in peace with others. The dividing wall of hostility between people was destroyed by Jesus on the cross. This means that the sin that separates people has been defeated by Jesus. It means that there's real peace. It means that we can experience real reconciliation, the real bringing together of two enemies in peace in Christ. It means that there is hope for broken marriages. It means there is hope for two people who are so relationally far away that they couldn't imagine ever even speaking together. They couldn't imagine ever being in each other's presence again. There's hope for relationships that are that broken even in Christ. Jesus is our peace. Jesus even goes so far as to redeem relationships between friends, men and women. Jesus removes the lust that separates good people from one another by removing our sin. We don't see each other as sexual objects anymore in Christ. There's hope for that. Jesus could even redeem our friendships. He could redeem our family culture by allowing us again to be friends with one another. Fear and hatred of other races has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross. Hurt and distrust of others has been defeated by Jesus. See, in Christ, we now live as kingdom kids in God's family, and the kingdom of God looks like family. We respond to the gospel by living out our identity in Christ. Now, these kingdom family relationships may be outside of our comfort zone. And I can pretty much guarantee this, that Jesus' peace extends well beyond your current safety zone. (laughs) Jesus' peace transcends culture. It transcends nationality and race. It transcends economic divide. It transcends age differences. Our Father is calling us into a very diverse family of peace. And in our passage today, we see the nearness and the farness that God's peace peace reaches. It indicates that we are to be open to new and different and potentially uncomfortable friendships. God has created humanity as a diverse people, and He is calling a diverse people to Himself. God is bringing all peoples, not just our people. He is bringing all peoples into His church. God may be calling you into a kingdom family relationship, not just with someone who looks different, but He might be calling you into a relationship with someone who is difficult. Imagine that. People with whom you are naturally at odds. Jesus is our peace. God might be calling us into new relationships with unfamiliar people or unfamiliar people groups. You might be feeling called like the Wagners to to learn some foreign language. Imagine that. 
It, just by the fact that I'm preaching in English right now, I, I'm like 50% of the people that live in Southern California don't have access to what we preach here at Reality Ventura because I'm not preaching in Spanish. Some of us need to learn Spanish so we can bring the gospel to our Spanish-speaking friends and neighbors in our community. God might be calling us to step into unfamiliar and uncomfortable new situations, new friendships, new relationships. And many families in our church, I think this is an appropriate example to give, many families in our church have adopted children from different ethnicities and different nations even, overseas adoptions, and bringing them to be family here. And even my family is racially diverse through adoption, and we are a unified family. We are a family. Now, this is an appropriate picture appropriate example as we try to picture God's plan for his church because this is exactly what God does. He adopts children near, as our passage says, and far. God adopts children of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, near and far into his family. And just as it's the reality of family that unites my diverse family, it's the reality of family that unites God's diverse family kingdom family. We are a kingdom family in Jesus, who is our peace. It has been said that if you want to travel quickly, then go alone. If you want to travel far, then go together. If you've ever read the New Testament, then you know that the church is all about going together with Jesus. We must be diligent to follow Jesus. And we follow Jesus individually. We follow Jesus together. And we follow Jesus as a family. Church, this is good news. It is good news that Jesus has entered into the mess of racism and nationalism. It's good news that there's real hope for real peace between all peoples. It's good news that Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostilities between individuals and between people groups. And it's good news because it seems like the church in America is not getting much bigger very quickly. It seems like the church in Europe is dying, actually, if you've, ever, if you've been reading recent statistics of what's happening in Europe. But it's good news because the church is absolutely exploding in Africa and in China you realize there are more Christians right now in Africa than there are people in the United States. There are over 400 million born-again Christians in Africa right now. And so statistics... Yeah, praise God. And so statistically, the average Christian, the average Christian isn't a white American male the average Christian, statistically speaking, is a black African female. This means that I have more in common with a Kenyan Christian woman than I do my next-door neighbor. See, God is building His church. He is at work building His church and bringing peace. And His work is as diverse as the people He has created, church. He is bringing broken and rebellious and offensive and hurt and fearful and lonely and arrogant people of all races and all ages and all economic profiles. He's bringing these people to himself to be redeemed to God, to be forgiven of the things that separate them from God. And he's bringing these people into his church 
with us to be part of his kingdom family. Church, Jesus is our peace, both peace with God and peace with others. And this morning, as we start to consider what what God might be leading me into in my life, what does this mean for me? How is God speaking his word to me personally? How is God speaking his word into my community? How is God speaking his word into his church? And I would say first and foremost, if you have not yet found peace with God, then now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. God loves you. And God has made a way for you to experience peace with your Creator. God created you very specifically, very intentionally, very lovingly created you to be with Him and experience purpose and experience value and experience approval and experience love in Christ, in Him. And because we're separated from sin, that doesn't seem obvious to us. In fact, it seems hopeless when we're living apart from God because we have created for ourselves a barrier between God and man. The Apostle Paul refers to that as the wall of hostility that exists between man and God. We're hostile toward God in doing what we want. God loved you so much, He sent His Son to come down and live a perfect life. And then He exchanges his perfect sinless life for your sinful life by hanging on the cross and paying the penalty for your sin. God loved you so much He stepped out of heaven to invite you back into His presence. And so today, come to Jesus. He is the only peace you will ever know in this life. Both peace with God and that you can walk in peace with others. Or maybe for the rest of us, who are Christians. Maybe you've made peace with God through Jesus. You're a Christian, but you need to make peace with someone in your life. Maybe this Mother's Day is the day that you take a step of faith in Jesus and you make a really tough phone call to reach out to someone with whom you need to be reconciled. Maybe before we take communion, as we're going to take communion as a family today, you need to step outside and and leave a voicemail. Maybe you need to turn to your husband or your wife today and ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to come up and and, and pray with one of your kingdom brothers and sisters. We're all a family. Come and get prayer. We'll lead you to Jesus. We'll bring you to where you can find peace in your relationship. But let today be a day of peace in Jesus for you, for your family, and for God's kingdom family. Let's respond as we worship God together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you've given us this this beautiful picture, this beautiful reality that, Jesus, you you pulled together those who are far off and those who are near, and you make us one in Christ. You give us peace. We pray, Holy Spirit, now as we submit ourselves to a darkened room and these songs with just truthful lyrics, God, that you, Holy Spirit, would do a work in our heart, that we would connect the truth, the reality of who Jesus is and the peace that we experience with God and the peace that we are given for relational 
rightness and wholeness and reconciliation with one another. Help us today, God, to respond to that, to get right where we need to get right. And we love you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you have brought us, even us, even me, God, that you've, you were willing to do the work to bring me in. This morning we worship you from a place of, of awe and thanks the sacrifice that you are willing to make. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the carpets are up front. If you need to get on your knees or get on your face before God, and like I mentioned a moment ago, the prayer team is up here. If you need to just grab someone's hand and come up and get prayer, come and do that. These guys are ready to pray for you. Communion elements are not on the front of the stage this morning. We're going to take communion as a family in just a few moments. But we want to respond with our hearts in worship first. We want to get right with God and get right with one another. So let's do that as we worship God together.